Let us pray together. For as I have often told you before and now, tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But for us, for Christian men and women of God, as Paul declares in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, and his name is Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord. So God, as we're here today on this new beautiful Sunday you have given us, we humble ourselves and we surrender our hearts and we place all of our trust in you and in you alone. God, it doesn't matter what happened last night or what happened this morning or what happened this past week. For the moment is now. Help us to seek after you and to yearn after you. All of our crowns, all of our accomplishments, they're all garbage in comparison to the worth of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So God, I pray, Lord, against every distraction, every hindrances, and we lay them all at your feet, for you are our Lord and our King. So I pray, Lord, as you transition to the message, even though my emotions and my feelings tell me that I should have prepped more or have done more to prepare for this message, instead of trusting my emotions and my feelings, I trust in you, in who you are. And as you transition to the message, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We look to you, Jesus. You are our king. Pray all these things in your precious son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday, everyone. Uh, let's begin with today's message. Welcome, Josh. <laughs> it's good to have you here. And the title of today's message is called, What Do You Stand For? What do you stand for? I pray today that we reflect upon the message and that we'll really look within and see where we are and where we stand as Christian men and women of God in this ever-changing world and the season that we're in. So the question, what do you stand for? If you do not stand for something, you will fall for anything. And we understand from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see that there are two parts, two areas where the man and woman of God stood, where they stood for God and they stood against God. And those who stood against God, they did not last. There was judgment and there was destruction. But for those who trusted in the Lord, for those who stood for God in following the Lord, we see that there was blessing and the Lord was with them and walked with them. So we see in the book of Revelation that towards the end, that we see the seven churches of the warning. What were the churches again? There was Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, 
Philadelphia and Laodicea. And what does it say? And what is a warning to the Laodicea church? That you are lukewarm, meaning you are in the middle. You are not standing for anything. And if you are in the middle and if you don't stand for me, as Jesus is saying in his word in the book of Revelation, if you don't stand for something, if you don't stand for me, you will fall for anything in this world. There are many temptations, many hardships, many noise, and many distractions. Therefore, we need to look to the Lord and trust in him and make a decision that no matter what happens in this life, that I will stand for Christ. Today's passage I'm going to jump from Acts chapter 6 to Acts 7, starting with verse 1 in chapter 6. The title says, Seven Men Chosen to Serve. Starting with verse 1, it says this, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Verse 5, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, which is our main character here today, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Verse 8, the title says, Stephen is arrested. Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of free slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. There were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So just to have an understanding, to understand the context of what's happening here, the apostles couldn't do everything. They had to focus on prayer and doing the ministry work, just like in the past, in the beginning of our ministry. For me, it was difficult to do everything. So now we share that responsibility, and they needed help with people to run a food program, and they selected seven well-respected men who are full of the Spirit, and wisdom. And these seven men were chosen, and our main character here is Stephen. And during this time, the context was that everyone was divided. There was division among the people. Jews over there, 
Gentiles over here. Division was running rampant in this early Christian, first Christian church. Many people were divided. They were filled with division and hate. Among the Christians here, that they supported one another by sharing their homes, their food, and anything that was necessary. They worked together, came together, and became united. We see that they worked well together because they distributed responsibilities accordingly, according to their talents and gifts. And the truth and the reality is, if we're going to do church, if we're going to be a Christian, you must live within community. We cannot change the world single-handedly. The secular world, they felt the powerful movement of the gospel of these individuals, the apostles, and these seven chosen men. And it was love, the love of the gospel, their love towards each other. Through the good news, through the word of God, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, through wisdom. So our lives are not marked by the positions that we hold in this life, which you will learn through Stephen. What was his position? His position was not anything. It was to distribute food, right? Food committee ministry, committee head. That's all he was doing, distributing food. But we see that the Bible here in Acts 6, the scripture tells us that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit spirit. He was a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed amazing miracles, it says in verse 8, and signs among the people. He was so full of wisdom that he debated against those who opposed the gospel. So we understand the importance of who we are as a Christian, as a man and a woman of God, as an individual. It is not marked by the positions that we hold in the positions of this world, but in who we are in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The lives of these first Christians, they were marked by their faithfulness in standing up for the truth of the gospel, in their love for Jesus Christ, and in their love for one another. Take a look at verse 2 one more time. The apostles, which were the leaders, the apostles are known as the ones who walk with disciples, the disciples who lived and ate with Jesus when he was alive. Paul is an exception. He is also an apostle. Verse 2, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God because that was their gift, that was their calling, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word, and everyone liked the idea, and they chose the following, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. And then now we transition to Stephen as the main character. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. 
perform amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of free slaves, as he was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Keep in mind, he's not an apostle. He's just a man appointed to distribute food. But you'll see that this man is an amazing man because he stands up with courage and with zeal and with passion and with conviction. And we learn our importance in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with our titles, but has to do with your faithfulness and your love and your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your love for each other. The men that were chosen, the general description is, they were full of faith, full of respect, meaning they were well-respected, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. But Stephen, the Bible makes it even more clear that he was a level above these men, meaning he was a man full of faith, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man full of God's grace, a man, he was a man who performed miracles and signs and other transitions says wonders. And then you see Stephen standing up for the truth, debating against these men who oppose the gospel and who are against the gospel. Stephen goes from a food organizer to all of a sudden, in verse 8, to a warrior, a fighter, a debater who stands up for righteousness. Stephen, he fights, he defends, and he contends for the gospel. He begins to debate by standing up for his faith against those who are opposing the gospel, who are known as free slaves here. And the lesson is this. Regardless of our positions in this life, as believers, what's more important is that we stand for the truth of the gospel that we defend, we contend for our faith. So with that, point number one, there is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. Revelation 3.16, as I mentioned earlier with the Laodicea church, it says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. If you don't stand for the truth of God, you will stand for something else. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with something else. Meaning, as Christians, we must never be Christians that sits and stands and walks on the wrong side. When I say the wrong side, anything that opposes the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we stand on the wrong side. Meaning, when we hear gossip at church, are we just sitting there, not doing anything, being passive and allowing the division to grow within your group, within your community? Or do you pray and in your wisdom and in your conviction and with courage do we confront it? Are we an individual that stands for righteousness? with integrity, 
Again, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with something else. Because the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is a banner of truth, not of lies. If we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we cannot see and abide in the truth. For the Holy Spirit is the giver of truth. If we're not under the banner of the truth of God, we are under the banner of something else. And what is that banner of something else? It is our pride, our lies, the gossip, our lust, and etc. Stephen, it says, the Bible makes it very clear, chapter 6, verse 5, that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you a question. With the point number one, there's no middle ground. The question is, what are you filled with? What are you filled with? Are you a man and a woman who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who lives with the conviction of the truth that comes from the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit as we surrender our life to the Lord. Again, verse 5 says, Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Going further in our reading, verse 11 to 15. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. People are lying about him, spreading gossip and rumor saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Verse 15, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. So we see a lot of lies happening. Verse 11, they're persuading people to lie about Stephen, saying that he's blaspheming God and Moses, rousing the people. This is very similar to when Jesus was being crucified as lies were being told about him. Verse 13, the lie witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple, against the law of Moses. But what sets Stephen apart and what makes him special is verse 15. At this point, everyone, 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 not some people, everyone stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's, which tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What set him apart was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that God was with him. That when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that in the midst of arrows and lies and rumors and attacks that are flying at you, the light of Christ will shine in our lives. Everyone will recognize that you are in Christ. You shall find peace in the battle when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not stand in the middle. You'll be hot for the gospel, as it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. And because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, 
I am about to spit you out of my mouth. God will spit us out of his mouth if we are people who are standing in the middle. What do you stand for? Do you contend and defend and fight for the gospel? Do you stand for the gospel? Or are you in the middle, being passive, not active? Number one, there is no middle ground. Point number two, there are many who live as enemies of the gospel. There are many who live as enemies of the gospel. And that's the truth. The prayer that I did in the beginning in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, and even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame and victimhood. Always being guilty, feeling guilty, thinking that God will never love them and forgive them. I could never forgive myself. Their mind is set on earthly things. But the contrast word here, but us, but you, men and women of God, us as Christians, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This breaks Paul's heart because he wants all to be saved. He wants all to know the truth of the gospel. But many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And we see here from verse 8 to verse 15, Stephen, he is standing on the truth with Christ. And then the ones that are mentioned here in Philippians 3, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are the individuals. They're spreading lies, rumors, gossips. But Stephen isn't even moved. His face is like an angel, just bright, at peace. People who are enemies of the cross of Christ, they're prideful. Their stomach is their God. Their destiny is destruction, it says. Their glory is in their shame. They're on the path of earthly things, earthly ways. But us as Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone. And we see these individuals in the high council these free slaves who are spreading lies about Stephen, who are trying to accuse Stephen of blaspheming against God and the law of the prophets and Moses. These are the individuals that First Thessalonians 2.15 is talking about. It's the same mind, same spirit, same heart. Those who are too proud, too arrogant, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. So the truth is this. 
There are many who live as enemies of the gospel. That's why we must stand in the truth. Because there are many who are looking to destroy and to divide the community, the church. That's why so many churches are falling apart. Even within the church, there are so many churches that are closing down. Due to rumors, gossips, we must protect the community, the church, as Christian men and women of God, by standing in the truth. So point A, defend the gospel by being rooted in the Lord. B, offend the world by being grounded in the word. Sometimes we must go and offend the world by being grounded in the word. We live according to the standard of his word, not the world. Letter C, live the gospel by walking with the Lord. D, forsake the world by holding on to the Lord. E, share the gospel by contending for the Lord. And lastly, F, challenge the world by sharing the word. Stephen here, you'll see that he will become the first martyr within the first Christian church in the book of Acts. Acts is right after the gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when Jesus, he dies and he resurrects, he ascends to heaven. He, before he ascends to heaven, he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then now you guys are going to take the mantle and the baton, and you will spread the gospel, the truth. And the apostles, they go ahead, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see here Stephen will be the first individual who will be martyred for his faith, which makes him very special and set apart. Again, he was a what? A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So let's continue reading. Chapter 7, verse 1. The title says, Stephen addresses the council. Again, all these lies are being thrown at him. He's being accused of blaspheming and lying and dividing. So how does he respond? Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. It's a little long, so hang in there. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants. Even though he had no children yet, God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said. And in the end, they will come out and worship me here in this place. 
God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. Verse 9, these patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. Verse 11, but a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery and the ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers. They were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt. Seventy-five persons in all. Verse 15, so Jacob went to Egypt. He died there as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had brought for a certain price for Hamor's son in Shechem. Verse 17, as the time drew near when God will fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploded our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn baby so they would die. Verse 20, at that time Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months when they had to abandon him. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Verse 23, one day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged them, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God sent them to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day, he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Verse 30, 40 years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. This is the passage where it says, I am who I am. And Moses, again, keep in mind, he's at the age of 80. 40 years he lived in Egypt, 40 years in the desert here in Midian. And he is at the age of 80 when he encounters the Lord. Verse 33, then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. 
I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans, and I've come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. I'm amazed that these people are even listening. This is pretty long. He's pretty much giving the history of the gospel, the truth of their faith. Verse 35, so God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Verse 37, Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai, and there Moses received life-giving words to pass unto us. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him, wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. For we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf. And they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. In the book of the prophets it is written, Was it to me you are bringing your sacrifices and offerings? During those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel, no, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of your god, Rephen, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Verse 44, our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory. And it stayed there until the time of King David. Verse 46, David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it, his son. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that, asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place that in my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. He's talking about Jesus. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Verse 54, the Jewish leaders... They were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor and at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. 
his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is very important. Who is the Saul? It's the Saul that we all know, who wrote majority of the New Testament. It's Paul. And laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned them, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. He took his last breath, praising the Lord, trusting the Lord, looking at the Lord, and also not hating the ones who were stoning him, his accusers. He died with love. We see the description of Stephen's face where his face shone, was bright like an angel. And we see that when he sees the glory of God, in the past, when you see the glory of God, you be dead because of the holiness and the presence of God because we are sinners. Sin cannot be in the realm of holiness, of God's holiness. That's why when Moses went to the bush, he had to take off his sandals. He had to tread carefully because the presence of God is holy. And anything evil, anything that is filled with sin, cannot reside near the presence of God. We see here Stephen, in verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. Last time, when a man saw the glory of God, his name was Moses, God had to cover his eyes and he had to see a glimpse of God's back as he was passing by. And then when he came down after he received the Ten Commandments, his face was so bright that people had to put a veil over his head because he was glowing. So you could imagine the glow in Stephen's face because he saw and he sees the glory of God. And there are two ways that people respond when they hear the gospel. Number one, as Paul says in Philippians 3, they become enemy of the gospel, the enemies of the gospel, of the cross of Jesus Christ. Or they become and they receive and they become followers of Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse 1 and 2, chapter 7. The high priest this is most likely the same high priest, Caiaphas, the one that killed Jesus, the same man who accused Jesus, asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply, brothers and fathers, listen to me. In other words, be bold, be courageous, and share your faith. Sometimes we're too scared to share, and we don't take that leap of faith. But to share and to pray, it comes from God. And God gives us the courage to speak the right things. And when the opportunity comes, I will rise up and I will extend and share the gospel. When was the last time we shared the gospel and we stood courageously contending and defending for the gospel? Whenever I read this passage, I think about the time in college, the school that I attended was very free, very liberal. We had a bunch of different people. One of my projects, I tried to do my best to 
implement the gospel, and people knew that I was a Christian. I committed my life to God at the age, recommitted my heart and my life to God at the age of 16. At the 17, that's when my life started to change. You know, my life turned 180, and I remember a time where uh, this individual, uh, a friend of mine, which I got to know, uh, is full of, again, many different people, and this person really, during the whole semester and just everything, she just would not hear anything uh, with the gospel, and she didn't want anything to, to do with it. Uh, just to give you things in perspective, again, you know, looks don't matter. You know, we're not here to judge, but just to give you an idea, uh, you know, everything, the way she wore and the way she just with, um, like, piercings, in, like, in the, in the forehead and just, just complete opposite. So it, it was just the most awkward image that you'll see. And I remember she was sharing about her father was in the hospital. She was just sharing if you guys can just really pray for me. That was the first time I heard her mention that. I remember as I was walking, I saw her in front of Starbucks on 23rd Street in Manhattan. It's busy, right? New York is busy. As she was standing there, I felt in my heart to go ahead and share with her the gospel, God, whatever it is, however you, you, you lead me to do, I would do. I asked her, hey, um, praying for your dad. Actually, can I pray for your dad right now? And she's like, right now? Like, we're in front of Star Wars. People are trying to go in and out. And, and we prayed. And after that, there were tears. And I can't say for sure that she received the truth, but God touched her right there and then. So when the opportunity comes, we must be courageous and bold in sharing our faith, just like Stephen did here in Acts chapter 7. So the long reading, but point number two, there are many who live as enemies of the gospel, but there are many who are hungry for the gospel. And we must extend our hand, and we must go ahead and pray for our enemies and love our enemies. We must be willing to have the conviction to follow through courageously in sharing the gospel. There are many who live as enemies of the gospel, which leads to our last point, point number three. There's only one option for Christians to live and to die in Christ. As a Christian, you must live in Christ. And as a Christian, you must die in Christ. Not only must you live in him, but you must die in him. When I say die, I'm talking about die to your sins, to our old flesh. Not only must you live for him, but you must die for him as well. Acts chapter 20, verse 20 to 24. Paul, the same Paul that saw Stephen die, and he was actually living as an enemy of the gospel, right? He actually brought Christians to be persecuted. That's the Saul that we're talking about. Complete opposite. Later, 
after Paul finds salvation, a complete 180 in who Paul is. And it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 to 24, the greatest missionary that ever lived. Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In Philippians 3, Paul says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says it with tears. It breaks his heart. Because he saw who he used to be. When he would bring about Christians, he saw the first martyr, Stephen, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, being stoned to death. And even in his last breath, uttering the words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, imagine his accusers. He's innocent. He did nothing wrong, but these individuals in their pride and in their arrogance, they take stone one by one. They're killing this innocent man. And Saul is right there as a young man witnessing this. Who knows, maybe Saul was there throwing the stone as well. Seeing this man saying, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And taking his last breath and dying. And we learn from Paul, as he saw with Stephen, that the Christian life is not always the easiest path. It is filled with persecutions. It is filled with hardships. The false gospel will give you a false hope, saying that every situation that you're going through, even in your home, it will change. But here's the reality of the truth. Sometimes our situations will not change. But what changes our hearts? We don't pray for a life that is easy. But we pray that God will strengthen us in this one life, one chance that we have. Paul declares, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. His only aim, his only goal, Paul declares, is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying, testifying and sharing the good news of God's grace. Because at the end of the day, at the end of this life, it all comes down to one thing. Did you live your life for the Lord? Did you die for the Lord? Everything else is garbage in comparison, as Paul says, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. Who is Stephen? He's not even an apostle. He was a food distributor. People may look at him because people judge the world, the secular world judges according to your job, your titles, your prestige, the name that you have, the title that you hold. 
But in the kingdom of God, you are marked by your faithfulness, by how filled you are with the Holy Spirit. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the Bible makes it very clear, Romans 6, 8, that if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Romans 8, 36, it is, it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Who is writing this? Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I don't think this is up on the screen, but it says, I face death every day, and yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Philippians 1, verse 20 to 26, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life and by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll just cut it right there. But the rest is up to verse 26. In the last passage, 2 Timothy 2.11, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him, Paul tells his beloved spiritual son, Timothy. So A, B, C, and D, real quick. A, live in him. B, die in him. C, live for him. D, die for him. Just like Stephen, just like Paul, just like every other genuine Christians that are mentioned in the Bible, there must be definitive and sufficient evidence that not only are you living for Jesus Christ, but that you will die for Christ. Every individual that died in the scripture who are faithful to God, they lived as they died and they died as they have lived. Parallel, same. But for those who died differently, who took their own life, it was a complete opposite of how they lived. Like Judas, for example. Meaning, if you are in Christ, you will die in Christ. If you are living for Christ, you will die for Christ, vice versa. And I pray that we will really reflect upon our life and see who we are as men and women of God. We must live for Christ, and at the same time, we must die in Christ. It's not just about dying for him. It's about living for him. Stephen, who he was, who he claimed to be, was who he was. No pretense. No faking. In the eyes of the world, he was just a man who distributed food. But he was a man full of grace and truth and of the Holy Spirit. And God used him. 
for such a time as this. May we look to Christ and trust in him. In Christ, we have one life and one chance to live in this life. And what we can learn from Stephen, that he lived his life for God. He was chosen for such a time as this, that his death would be a testimony to others. It would be a testimony to Paul. At that time, his name was Saul before he was at the road of Damascus. Before his name changes to Paul, it makes a tremendous impact on a young man named Saul who was persecuting Christians. And then we see him in his old age. His life completely changed, 180. Is that the same person that we just read in Acts 7? For him to say things like, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Then leave, Paul. Why would you put yourself in harm's way and live such a hard life for the gospel? He didn't need to. But what does he say? However, I consider my life were nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying, sharing the gospel of the good news of God's grace. There's only one option for Christians. To live and to die in Christ. And this is the type of message that we don't hear often in churches. We say, do you, do your thing, and sometimes come to church when you want to, when you feel like it. And that's it. And we live our whole lives living that way as a casual Christian, but there's no such thing as a casual Christian. As the book of Revelation 3 says, you are lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the question, can you die for your faith, for the gospel? Dying for your faith is actually pretty easy, or easier, I would think. I mean, I don't know because I haven't been in that situation. But, you know, I'm ready. Really, I'm ready. I've said it before. You know, I'm ready. I'm, I've been ready. My mind is set. If something happens in the mission field or anything, God, I am ready to die for the gospel. But here's a harder question. Here's a harder challenge. Can you live for the gospel? Can you live for your faith, for the gospel? day in, day out, when your emotions are coming at you, 
when the lies and the whispers of the enemy are telling you that you're not good enough, when we sin and we fall in temptation, we make mistakes over and over again, will you stand up and rise again and follow God, knowing that He has forgiven you and that He loves you and that He is walking with you? Or will you trust in your emotions and the lies and the accusations of the people? Will we shrink under pressure when everyone is against you? Or will you stand in courage and in faith and contend and defend for the gospel? The only thing that could save you is Jesus Christ. Stephen reminds us that the temple of God is not the physical building that you go to the temple. Jewish leaders, don't get it twisted. The temple of God is you, the body. We are the temple of God, for God is not limited. God is not bound to buildings, but dwells in those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? What these many people fail to realize is that, that they are the temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell. And Stephen was a temple where the Spirit of God was filled in his life. Is God living in you? People may not kill you for your faith. Literally, like Stephen. But they may try to bring you down by embarrassing you, by trying to silence you, by spreading lies about you. But as Paul declared, whether in life or in death, whatever situation that you find yourselves in, continue in honoring the Lord. Let the light of Christ shine in your life because in the end, you will never know who will be affected by your faithfulness, by your faith. And in this case, we learn a young man named Saul. And this event would change his life forever. I'm sure when Paul was in prison, going through hardships, and he was in shipwrecks, when he was being stoned, I'm sure he remembered back to the first Christian martyr in the New Testament, Stephen. How he joyously died for the gospel, even until he took his final breath. Whatever Stephen did, whatever Paul did, Jesus did it for us on the cross. He died on the cross. So I want to encourage you today, please don't allow your hearts to become hardened and blinded. And put your hands to your ears, turning a blind eye as you hear the good news of the gospel, the truth of this message today. But this message might be even our last message for tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. Please, I beg you, 
as Paul begs in Philippians 3. Do not reject Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make that decision today. It will be the greatest decision that you will make for all of eternity. Not just in this life, but for all of eternity. I'd rather be an eagle and soar in the arms of my father than to flock with turkeys. Not because I think I am better. Not at all. I am not. I am the biggest sinner of them all. But I'd rather be martyred with the truth, knowing that I'm a broken individual, that I have lived my life, the rest of my life, with conviction from the Holy Spirit, doing the right things, rather than to be blinded by my pride and by my stubbornness, blindly following the dreams of this world, blindly following the crowd and the masses. May we become like Stephen, Contend, defend for your faith. Stand for your faith. There are two options when we hear the gospel. We will accept, we will reject. You will become our greatest hope or it will become your greatest threat because it will become a threat to your future, to your worldly dreams. But may we, like Stephen, joyfully receive and allow the gospel to become our greatest hope. Please do not close your hearts to the truth of today's message. Receive the truth of the gospel here today. For in Christ there is freedom, in Christ there is hope. In Christ, there is restoration. You do not have to remain broken in your brokenness. And I've experienced an encounter over and over again of his grace, even today, this morning. Many distractions here before the message. But God is good, and God is faithful. May his faith in every moment in our lives, even when anxiety rises, he is faithful. Even when things don't go according to our plan, He is faithful. He is faithful. As God was faithful to Moses, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in desert running away, plus another 40 years in the wilderness when everyone that He loved and He cared for betrayed Him. Even if it takes my whole life, I will be faithful in this one life, one chance that I have. So I want to encourage you today to stand for the truth, to stand and to contend and to defend the gospel. What do you stand for? I pray that you will stand for the truth or the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And just with our eyes closed, and in the whispers of our hearts, 
we just give our hearts to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask Him to strengthen us. Ask Him to strengthen you and to renew you so that you may soar on wings of eagles under the banner, under the shadow of God's wings, under His protection, under His domain. May we look to Him and recommit our hearts back to our Lord Jesus Christ this very morning. Let us pray and pray in the whispers of our hearts and turn our hearts back to the Lord. Let us pray together. stand together. Let us sing. So I stand in awe of you, Jesus. Jesus. 
I'll stand in awe of you, my Jesus. And I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. Let's make this our prayer and our worship before the living God. So I stand.
For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not just to live for you, but also to die for you. Help us not to just live in you, but also to die in you, to die from, to our sins, to our pride, and to our stubbornness. To live is Christ, and to die is gain, as Paul declared. If we die with him, we will also live with him. Thank you, Father, that our life doesn't end here on this finite earth. But, Lord, our life will continue for all of eternity in heaven with you, O God. For that is a promise given only to those, only to those who have given their lives to you and who are in you and for those who are in Jesus Christ. So we declare today, not out of our emotions, but with faith and with true conviction that, God, as I have lived with Christ, as I am living with Christ, I will also die with Christ, not just for now, but also forevermore. And that is a promise given to your children. We are no longer orphans in this world, oh God. Thank you for inviting us and allowing us to be part of your family, to be part of your kingdom. We pray all these things. We thank you. We love you. pray all these things in your precious Son. Jesus Christ, let me pray, and God's people pray. Amen and amen.